Hi, this is Bruce Boxleitner, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have the phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pet's heads are falling off! Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. Throughout television history, there have been child actors. Some have continued on in successful careers, whether they continued acting or had a different calling. While we've had a plethora of child stars in recent history via Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel, growing up in the 1970s, when there were only a handful of TV stations, there were only a handful of child stars that stayed with us as we watched them grow up on TV alongside ourselves. Today's guest has had an amazing career, and as we watched him grow up, we also knew he would go on to do great things. Now, younger listeners out there may not have heard of him, but his legacy still touches us today, and he's been an important fixture in our pop culture. So sit back and get ready to hear a great interview with an actor who has gone on to other kinds of success and has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of people over the years. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo-hoo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. 
Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go! Play and have fun now! Folks, our guest today started acting at the tender age of three and went on to become a fixture on TV and in films in the 1960s and 70s. He reads and speaks five languages fluently, English, Portuguese, Spanish, American Sign Language, and French. He's been in such movies as The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Biscuit Eater, Napoleon and Samantha, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and A Talking Cat just to name a few. His numerous TV credits include Bonanza, Bewitched, Green Acres, Gunsmoke, and Adam-12, again, just to name a few. But his most memorable TV performances were as Jody Davis on Family Affair and Johnny Stewart on Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. He's worked with such actors as Kyle Reiner, Eve Marie Saint, Alan Arkin, Jonathan Winters, Brian Keith, Warren Oates, Fred Gwynn, E.G. Marshall, Billy Barty, and he gave Jodie Foster her first on-screen kiss. <laughs> In 1973, he appeared on The World of Sid and Marty Croft live at the Hollywood Bowl with the Brady Kids, Jack Wilde, and H.R. Puffin Stuff himself. And folks, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that in 1965, he was the original actor to play one of my favorite characters, Scotty Baldwin, on my all-time favorite TV show, General Hospital. In 1999, he received the former Child Star Lifetime Achievement Award at the Young Artist Awards. In more recent years, he's been a passionate advocate for child actors and speaks on addiction in the workplace, signs and symptoms of an addict, the history of addiction and how it continues today, as well as many other treatment and addiction themes. He currently teaches young actors, as well as running the Peso Por Peso Alcohol and Drug Rehabilitation Center. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a truly an honor to welcome to the show one of my childhood icons, the amazing Johnny Whitaker. Well, hello, 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 and um, it is wonderful to be with you, except now, I thought I, you told me that you were Portuguese. I am not. No, I'm Italian. <laughs> oh, well, even Italiano, <laughs> you said peso for peso, my friend. It's paso por paso. Paso por paso. I was going to ask you about that. I wasn't 100% sure. <laughs> That's okay. We'll we'll let the Italian get it all mixed up. But... <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. I'm so glad to have you here. You know, I always admired you as a kid, and there were times where I would, you know, jump up on a stool, and I'd sing along with you singing the theme to Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. And, right. you know, now my wife gets mad when I do that, so I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I usually like to ask guests about their journey to becoming an actor. You started so young. I think you started in commercials, right? Do you remember how that all came about? Yeah, well, my mother was, well, my mother, I'm one of eight children. Wow. And uh, you're either Mormon, Catholic, or careless. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, oh, by the way, I may not be totally PC, so if you get letters and um, notes and emails from people, just pass them on to me and I'll <laughs> No worries, no worries. I, I don't believe in PC anyway, so. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my mother at the time, I was the youngest, except my mother was pregnant with number f- six. Wow. I was number five. I had a brother older than me. I had a sister 
that was the oldest, then a brother, then two sisters, and then me. And uh, the two sisters above me and my oldest sister, the three of them, well, my family, when my siblings were born, my father's test to see if he was the father is if they would cry a perfect C. And all of us came out crying a perfect C. (laughs) He and his brothers and father would um, sing. My father had a beautiful baritone voice and my grandfather had a beautiful Irish tenor and my uncles and um, all of them and my aunts too. They, they, they sang well anyway. So my sister's, I'm going around a long, long thing, and this is just a podcast. So. <laughs> that's fine. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> anyway, my sisters were told by my father to learn harmonies in three-part harmonies. And so uh, they did. And there was a new song that had come out for the children to sing in the Mormon faith called I Am a Child of God. And the uh, my mother got the music late and wasn't able to teach all the children, and they were getting ready to do the children's program for the congregation. So my mother taught me and my sisters and another little girl who was going to basically, who was five, and she was going to be singing the lead, but because um, I was there, I could practice with my sisters, but when it came to that Sunday, the lead was going to do it. Well. The lead got the chicken pox. Wow. And so the only other kid in the whole congregation who kind of knew the words was this three and a half year old boy. And okay, I was, you know, kind of a smart aleck anyway. (laughs) And, um, you know, I got up on the pulpit to sing with my sisters and I sang the first verse. I am a child of God. And he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. And then my sisters would come in in harmony. Nice. Lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find the way. Teach me all that I must do to live with him someday. And then the accompanist prepared for the second verse. And I forgot the words. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. So this little three-and-a-half-year-old boy, she played the intro again, and I knew I was supposed to be singing, and my sisters looked at me, and I looked out at the congregation, and I am a child of God. And I started making up the words. (laughs) And my sisters were elbowing me, like, that's not the right words. And it was like, just leave me alone. I'm going to sing it and um, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll do it anyway. So um, we got through the second verse and then the third verse I remembered and the congregation was laughing and crying and thinking it was so sweet. And, you know, the music was pretty. And after the, the services, one of the congregants came to my mother and said, you know, for a three-and-a-half-year-old boy to get up in front of a congregation of 200 people and not get 
flustered yeah. by forgetting the words and just letting the show go on. That kid has got some chutzpah, <laughs> some, you know, and he's got definitely talent. Would you consider taking him to my son's agent? And my mother said, well, I don't know about this stuff. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Wow. So about a week later or so, I was in front of a my agent. And that day she sent me out on a on an audition. I got the audition and started making money. That's awesome. Wow. And you, so it's safe to say basically that performance is in your blood, right? <laughs> yeah. And whether it's um, on a podcast <laughs> or um, in front of a, an, an audience singing, If and I Was God for the uh, 94th birthday party of um, Richard Sherman, you know, it's all the same. Right, right, exactly. And so, so you started with commercials, right? Well, every child in the industry or most people when they first get into television and film, unless they come from theater, that's the first thing that is possible is making money in um, print or commercials. Right. So, yeah, I um, was the sun-kissed orange boy. Oh, right. I, there's a picture of me holding a, sun, a half of a sun-kissed orange <laughs> with my orange hair and my orange skin and freckles <laughs> smiling and I look like a little orange <laughs> and um there I am and I did uh, funny faces fun to drink and lots of other commercials but um I didn't do a lot after family affair but I'd still like to get uh, some of that little Cashelota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did you think growing up as an actor that it was something that everyone did, or were you aware that it was sort of something special and different? Well, as I teach my children and adult students about acting, acting is having fun. And acting is just having the opportunity instead of having fun and not knowing what you're saying until you say it is being able to read or respond to other people's words, but you just have fun using them like they're yours. Right. So I saw it as just having fun and I enjoyed it. I thought that it was fun and I didn't know that I was making money. I just went with my mom and went in front of the camera or went to an audition. And then a couple of days later, I would go on the on the set and uh, I would meet my welfare worker. And then when school started, I would meet the teacher. But all of that, I, um, you know, it was part of my life. I, I liked it. Nice. Nice. And did you find, like, I, I know that um, we've all heard the stories of, of things that have happened to child stars. Like you mentioned, you didn't even realize you were making money and, and there are kids who you know, had been robbed because of that. What, what are the, some of the pitfalls? Uh, having gone through that process through your, your youth, what are some of the pitfalls that child stars could run into or, or used to run into? Maybe it's different now. Well, in the 1930s, we had the um, Jackie Coogan Oh, yes. Law. Yep. 
uh, in the state of California only. And it was signed into law in 1939, and that was designed to safeguard a portion of their earnings for when they reach the age of majority or 18. Right. And protect them from exploitation and abuse. And it was, and I'm reading from Wikipedia, uh, very important. (laughs) (laughs) But I, um, in that, basically, the law stated that any time that a child was working in the entertainment industry under a contract, uh, well, a longer term contract, not for commercials or one-time films, but under contract meant, well, of course, back in the heyday of Hollywood, they had people under contract. So individuals like Shirley Temple that were under contract with MGM, Universal, etc. Right. Those individuals would have a portion of their money set aside. And what happened is we as children are represented by a lawyer, by the state, and my parents go before a lawyer and show their expenses for me being an actor, not the expenses of the family, just my expenses. Right. Then the judge decides on the portion of income that will be set aside for the child. Right. So... Although I was quite, I did a whole lot of work in a whole lot of shows, the only money that was set aside for me was Family Affair and Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Oh, okay. Everything else that I did, the Tom Sawyer, the Disney movies, etc., all of that was not included in, uh, so my parents got all of that. Or my family, I shouldn't say my parents, but, right. you know, they're the ones that were taking care of it. And in 2000, I was very grateful to be a part of a SAG-AFTRA workforce that came up with the current Coogan Law. They never changed the, the name, but they uh, got it. And now what in and again, this is only in the state of California. Right. That the monies are saved at a minimum of 15%. The parents can make more or can put, you know, and basically what happens is the family must open a Coogan account. It's a new thing for banks Hmm. in the state of California. And basically all it is is, Uh, The parents go down with the birth certificate and show that this is the child and or any paperwork that indicates that the child has a different name or whatever. Right. And takes that to the bank. And then upon getting a job as an extra or as, you know, top billing, it doesn't matter if you are under 18, the parents or, you know, are required to to give that information to the welfare worker or teacher, the studio teacher who then verifies the information and then gives it to the production assistant who then takes it to the payroll. And upon getting a check, depending on how payroll is done, 
15% of the gross of that check. Let's just say it's, uh, you know, a hundred bucks. $15 will then be automatically deposited uh, via wire transfer or, you know, right. easily enough in today's market. And that that money will go directly into that Coogan account. Once that child turns 18, he or she can go into that Coogan account and extract the money or keep it or do whatever they want with it. Oh, that's cool. And it makes sense because the studio system is no longer the way it used to be. They don't put actors on contract and they haven't for a while. Right. It's, it's you know, individual project by project. Right. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of, you know, studio and, and stuff like that, you, do you remember anything about being on the set of General Hospital? I do remember I was just up to the ABC studios up there. I have some friends who live up and around there. And I just decided to, you know, park and drive up. And, of course, it's very, very, nobody can get in without a pass and, a, a you know, a reason. Right. But. I remember doing the table read every week and I was five, but I had learned to read. That's awesome. And my mother, of course, was sitting right there and whispering into my ear. And that's how I started learning how to read. And when my lines would come up, I would, you know, my mother would whisper them in my ear if I couldn't read them. Uh, well, that's what she'd do first, and then I'd read, wow. and I would respond with my lines, and we would go through that because I think we didn't work on, didn't film or tape on Fridays and or Mondays. Maybe it was Monday. I don't know. And then we would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all in one so i had to be there whether or not i was in you know if i was in any of that week's scenes right so uh, i you know i was there and i just remember being the only child i believe and just being loved and pampered and cared for very positively nice Nice. And um, in the late 1970s, actor Ken Schreiner took over the role. They they aged him quite a bit. And uh, have you met him at all? No, but my nephew had a one-day role on General Hospital. And so I um, took a... And I was his um, guardian for the day. And so I took a, a sticky note and put it on the front of his dressing room and just said you know hi ken this is johnny whitaker i was the original scotty baldwin just thought it would be fun to talk hmm. and gave him my information and never contacted me and oh it's too bad it could have fallen off i don't know you know it was just a sticky note oh yeah but you know i had hoped and you know and i'd asked other people on the set you know where is um ken's dressing room and is it possible you know i didn't just do it i asked permission yeah and um that's just the kind of guy i am <laughs> <laughs> and so i did it and hadn't heard back or haven't heard back so again i, I don't blame him or or whatever but I, I think it would be fun i have done a couple of 
Um, they have here in L.A., or they had before COVID, they had a uh, get-together of a, re- a 50-year reunion Oh yeah, for the casts and, you know, the past casts. Right. And we had our own little part, and uh, it was fun. I, I met a lot of fans, and there was only one person, though, that had recognized me from 1965. Wow. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So um, how did um, the, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming come about? I mean, I remember enjoying that movie as a kid as well. Right. Well, as most any film or role that an actor gets, my agent, Mary Grady, who just passed away this past year at the age of 95. Wow. Beautiful woman, kind of like my godmother. Anyway, she saw that they're looking for a, you know, five to six-year-old boy for the role of, I forget what my name was, but, and he needs to not be afraid of heights. Right. And so my agent put me in and I did a screen test and I got the job. And so my mother and I went to, uh, what's it called? Anyway, Northern California to do the film and uh while uh we were there what i do remember brian keith knocked on our door and said can johnny Whitico come out to play <laughs> and of course this hunk gorgeous hunk of a man <laughs> comes to the door and my mother is not i mean she's totally dressed and but we had our our motel room and she goes, uh, uh, you know, and I say, hi, Brian. <laughs> and she says, come on out. Here's a, a baseball glove. Let's let's play. And then he says, is that OK? And yeah, it's OK. So we started playing. And for whatever reason, Brian, even though I don't remember having any scenes with him, but we had, oh, <laughs> <laughs> my roommate just came out. His name is Bryant. Oh, and I said, hey, Brian. And so he came out wondering, and I thought, what is he standing in the room? <laughs> That's awesome. That I called him. Anyway, so Brian, when he was ready to start the casting for um, Family Affair, told the producers that it was important to at least take me and let me be a part of, well, my agent had also contacted them and said what the original family affair was meant for a six-year-old girl, a 10-year-old boy, and a 16-year-old girl. Right, yeah. That was Sissy, Jody, and Buffy. Right. And my agent had finagled her way to talk to the casting people, like most agents are supposed to do, and just said, with Brian Keith's support, we've got Johnny here who just finished a film with Brian and I understand Brian would like him to come in for a screen test. Why well, know that it's a 10 year old boy, but Brian would like him to screen test and he's one of the producers and the star of the show. So when would you like to see Johnny? And they go, well, well, you know that it's a 10 year old boy. <laughs> and she goes, well, you know, it could be 10 year old twins or six year old twins. Oh, wow. And so you know, at least that put it in the mind of the 
producers and the casting people that that might be a possibility. Anyway, so I was the only six-year-old boy there, and I and there were lots of 10-year-old boys, and they were doing their screen tests with the different girls. And I screen tested with Anissa Jones and Pamela Ferdin and another couple of girls. I even think Eve Plum was there. Oh, wow. If I'm not mistaken. But anyway, when I did the scene with Anissa and they had it on tape or video or I don't know if they probably filmed it anyway. They looked at the two of us and said, we really look like we are brother and sister and could be fraternal twins. Oh, yeah. Because of the coloring and just the look. And uh, Anissa's mother was first generation Lebanese and had very dark hair and very dark eyes. But her father was English and had very light features. And so Anissa got her um her father's looks and then her brother younger brother john paul got the dark looks and uh from uh their mother but oh okay you know so when they saw the two of us they said hey that's this is magic let's make it let's make lots of money (laughs) (laughs) and make them uh six-year-old twins and so that's how that started that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I want to come back to Family Affair, but I did have one more question about uh, the Russians are coming. Is, did, did you have any fun stories of working with Carl Reiner and Alan Arkin or Jonathan Winters? Um, well, just that when um, Brian came to the to the door to play, my mother was making um, boy cheese sandwiches because I was not going to have a girl cheese sandwich. <laughs> and, you know, my mother we would get a per diem, which was, you know, how much money that it would cost to go to a restaurant for uh, breakfast and dinner, and then lunch we got on the set. Right. And we, um, so my mother would save that money, and with, you know, our first week, she went out and got a, a little grill, and, you know, I'm a kid, and she's a mom, and so we had grilled cheese sandwiches, which I didn't like grilled cheese sandwich. I want a boy cheese sandwich. (laughs) And so Brian came knocking at the door and I said, Hey, Brian, do you want a boy cheese sandwich? And he said, what? (laughs) And he says, you guys are having grilled cheese. No, that's not acceptable. And I guess, um, he brought Jonathan over to play and Jonathan, of course, had had already five or six kids at that time. Yeah. Like I said, Mormon, Catholic, or careless. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so he said, John, you and I are taking Thelma and Johnny out to dinner. And, you know, Jonathan Winter's eyes perked up and like, hell no, I'm not paying for anybody else. I got my own kids. (laughs) And so he said, yes, you are, you old coot. You're going to come with us. And so Brian made John, Jonathan Winters, pay for... um, our dinners or he did, I don't know exactly what it was, but we went out to a steak restaurant. And of course my mother was enamored with Brian Keith as any (laughs) young 30 plus year old woman would be at that time. And Jonathan Winters was not, you know, a gorgeous hunk, but lots of fun to be with. And so um, that's what I do remember. I also remember that the girl who played Carl Reiner's youngest daughter 
and I, we were there during Halloween. And so our mothers dressed us up as husband and wife, bride and groom. <laughs> and, you know, that those things I remember. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, man. So all right, getting back to uh, Family Affair, I, I read a quote from you that said you, you once said that real children were not as sweet and nice as you guys were on Family Affair. But I do recall you clipping some of Mr. French's beard on a dare one time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we weren't perfect. <laughs> and there was the scene or the other episode where I wanted Uncle Bill to spank me. Yeah. <laughs> to feel love because they said, you know, if he doesn't spank you, he doesn't love you. Right. And so those little things were all part of it. But uh, I mean, yeah, we weren't perfect kids, but we were better than the average child, I would say. Right. Right. I mean, I always loved, you know, especially Brian Keith as Uncle Bill, you know, the reluctant stepfather, but he was always doing his best to raise those kids, even though he didn't initially want to, but because he always remained true to himself and true to you guys as, as characters. Oh, yeah. And I thought that I was mean, really cool for the You character. know, a 35-year-old, maybe 40, I don't remember what, how old he was, but the character who had kind of put himself in the... Um, you know, had some beautiful women and he's a, a, a wealthy engineer and had his pick of the women in New York City. Oh, right. He's a swinging bachelor. You know, and then all of the sudden, these three kids come in and kind of <laughs> stunt his ability to uh, to do all of what he would rather do. Yeah. But, you know, he took it upon himself to be that father figure because his brother you know he took he did the job that was necessary right you know i didn't think much of the fact that we were an unconventional family with two men and three children although it was platonic and non-sexual right you know we were the first blended family i guess you can say oh yeah i hadn't thought of it that i mean way. you had you had bachelor father but that was you know daughter father and a couple of others that were kind of similar but yeah it was a, a great thing that um that we could show that all families are not necessarily just a husband wife and kids right right and you guys all had such great chemistry together. And I always felt that Mr. French had, and you had a special kind of chemistry, a special bond. And what was it like working with Sebastian Cabot? Well, I, I don't know if you, in your research, you found out, but in Family Affair, we would work nine months out of the year. And Brian Keith, however, in his contract would only work three months out of the year. Oh, wow. So the scripts were written so that Brian Keith would have, you know, a, a, a major role, but the series was mostly going to be around the kids. Yeah. And as we, you know, as you probably have seen that it was um, a, um, you know, the family affair was most, you know, it was the Buffy and Jody show. Right, right. And, you know, kids that didn't really remember the name of the the show would call it the Buffy and Jody show. <laughs> Anyway, so we would only film Brian's scenes for those three months. And we might do, well, and we had 26 scripts to do. So out of those 26 scripts, 
the first three months were only doing Brian Keith's episodes or scenes in all of the different episodes. So in one day, we might be filming scenes from five different episodes. Wow. So um, it was a nightmare for the um, continuity director and also for the uh, uh, wardrobe people because they had to take pictures of us with Polaroids every time we got off the set and then they knew what it was that we were wearing and because it was a series they got three of everything wow you know three of the same shirts three of the same pants three of the same shoes right because just in case you know one got dirty and stained and there's a scene before and I have that but there's uh, a stain on the shirt and the scene next to that we do five months later and there's no stain on the shirt you know it's right. the continuity is all messed up so but with that brian keith was tons of fun and, and was with us sebastian was more of a teacher hmm. and if we wanted to have fun sebastian would or sabby as we called him <laughs> Uh, he had a daughter that was Anissa's age. Oh, okay. And so, I mean, he was, and he had two or three other children that were older and already out of the house, I believe. But he would tell us, you know, if we were playing around or laughing, and he says, the actor prepares. <laughs> if you children would like to run our lines, I'm very happy to do so. But the actor prepares. And so, yeah, you know, we would go, especially if it was a specific scene between Sebastian and us. And so, you know, we would get not any pointers, but just watching him and and following through. Sebastian was very much a thoughtful, you know, everything had to have a purpose when he said a line or whatever. And Brian Keith was everything was a throwaway line, (laughs) you know. And um, so it was interesting to, to, as I look back as an adult and as an actor, you know, the, the two different styles of acting, but both were very good, you know? Right. But, of course, Sebastian, anytime that there was an, a photo op, he would definitely bring the kids in and, and make sure, you know, if there was some national or uh, Newsweek or People magazine or something like that, that were there to talk to the kids, Sabby would say, hey, children, would you like to hear Winnie the Pooh? (laughs) And so, of course, hey, Sebastian Cabot reading Winnie the Pooh to to Buffy and Jody, that's a perfect picture. So, you know, that happened many times. Yep. But he's a very kind and, and, and good man, but he was not as much fun as Brian was. Right. I can see that. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. 
on the Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history, from the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And is it true that the Mrs. Beasley doll was one of the producer's daughter's dolls? That's what I believe, because if you look at the doll in the first episode, you'll see that it's kind of a rag rag tag. It looks more like a, um, what's the boy and girl doll? Raggedy uh, Ann and Andy. Yeah, Raggedy Ann and Andy. It kind of looks like a Raggedy Ann whose hair was cut. Oh, okay. And anyway, the producer and the writer edmund hartman had been looking at this doll and his daughter had named it mrs beasley and he thought that's the greatest name for uh, a kid's doll and so then of course once the series was picked up hasbro and mattel started fighting for the rights to create a mrs beasley doll wow and so you can see that once the there was a brand new, clean and freshened Mrs. Beasley in episode two, or maybe three. Hmm. But yeah, Mrs. Beasley, there is the original, I don't know if it's the original that was a Mattel or the original is at the uh, Smithsonian? Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you want to talk about uh, what happened with Anissa Jones? Because that had a profound effect on your life, right? Well, I was a very prolific child actor. Oh, yeah. And not all child actors are able to do or, you know, are have not always had the opportunity 
to do extracurricular filming. My agent, Mary Grady, made sure that as long, and she made it a part of my contract, that as long as we were off of hiatus, that she could submit me on other roles. And that's how I got all the Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and Bewitched, and Green Acres. All of those were because we would, you know, off on while we were on hiatus, I could do that. Yeah. But we had a great time, had a good um, fun time doing what, um, and in being able to do all these other shows, of course, it worked my acting chops. And so I wasn't just Jody, but I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you wanted to talk about what happened to Anissa Jones. Oh, okay. So, With that, I, of course, had been very prolific. Anissa, I believe, had done The Trouble with Girls with Elvis before Family Affair. Yeah. And then during Family Affair, didn't do much else. She wanted to just be a, a, a kid at home. And she also got the, um, uh, well, she was up for the role in The Exorcist. Oh, wow. For the daughter, but she did not want it. And uh, Linda Blair, who's a friend of mine today, oh, wow. um, got that role. But my agent, Mary Grady, happened to live near where Anissa grew up and saw her sitting on the, on the curb in kind of a drug-induced stupor. Wow according to what Mary Grady had told me. And so she said, Anissa, Anissa. And she looked up, yeah, what do you want? And she goes, I'm Mary Grady. Yeah, who's that? I'm Johnny Whitaker's agent. Oh, I'm not interested. And, you know, just wasn't very talkative. So she had talked to me and said, you know, it might be a good thing for me to just give her a call and, Find out how she's doing. Now, again, Anissa was two years older than I. Okay, and how old was she at this point? She was 18. I was 16. Okay. And she, um, anyway, I don't remember if I really tried to to get in touch with her or, or what, but I was planning on it, but I was also planning on the Johnny Whitaker show, which was a family variety show for the Bicentennial, and we were... Uh, my bro- my younger brother and si- two sisters and myself in a uh, band and some dancers and singers were all preparing for the Johnny Whitaker show that opened up for the um, uh, that we anyway we did a, a family variety show throughout the northwestern and southwestern United States and so for whatever reason I never really got a chance to talk to her. And while we were, we'd started in um, Idaho at the uh, flood, we were um, supposed to be singing and we just continued to said, hey, yeah, it's going to be a free show instead of a cost show for the survivors and those that were in, um, I forget what city in Idaho it is there, but um, n- near the Ricks College in um uh, come on, brain. Anyway, we were um, doing the show there in um, 
Rexburg, Idaho. Okay. And they had the uh, big dam that broke. And, and anyway, that's where we started. And then we went to Salt Lake after that. Um, I think we were also in Idaho Falls and then Salt Lake. And while we were there, Monday morning, I turned on the television and listened to Rona Barrett say that Mary Anissa Jones, who played Buffy, uh, died of an apparent overdose yesterday in Oceanside, California. Oh, man. You know, we had not been close friends for, well, that was 76, and we stopped filming in 71. So that was five years that we really hadn't had close contact. We may have done a couple of appearances together, but not a whole lot. And as we got there, or as I heard that, I was shocked. And I immediately called CBS and got the phone number to our publicity director to see if, you know, what I should say or do if anyone was, you know, were to ask me what's going on or, or whatever. Yeah. And so when I called, he, I got patched into him. Um, however, you know, the studios did it at the time to where he was, which was at the house at Anissa's home with Anissa's mother, Paula and her her brother and it was there that i um i spoke with him and he said well there's not going to be a funeral because paula was an atheist but they will you know cremate the body and not going to have any kind of a memorial so don't rush back and you know it appears to have been a, a drug overdose but we don't know for sure hmm. and then it came out that the coroner there in Oceanside said that she had in her stomach a ball the size of a small baseball or a small fist of undigested drugs. Oh, my God. And said uh, in his report that it was the largest amount of undigested drugs he'd ever found in a teenager before. Wow. Oh, that's terrible. But yeah, I was, you know, I was at the time a good little Mormon boy doing all the things that I'm supposed to do, but it was very shocking to me. Oh, yeah. It must have been mind numbing. Yeah. Wow. And for for that reason, I had kind of decided I was going to not continue as strong as I had been for the past 14 years. Right, And that's when I decided to go on a mission for the Mormon faith to Portugal and where I was in the country of Portugal for two years and then came back, got married. And four years into our marriage, my wife says she doesn't love me and wants to marry the man who gave me my bachelor party. Oh, God. And um, that was my precipitous event. And all of us who choose to um take drugs and or alcohol to excess usually have a precipitous event right and it was that plus some other situations which caused me to go to the dark side <laughs> and uh so i was on the dark side for probably about 10 years 
until my family had an intervention and they said I have the choice of going into treatment or being excommunicated from the family. So I decided treatment was a lot better than excommunication. So Right. And good for you. I mean, you've cleaned your life up and then you've really been profoundly helping people since then. Well, I created a nonprofit on my father's birthday in 2003. And so we are coming up on 19 years and it's called Paso por Paso, which means step by step. And basically what that means is... um, My job is to find treatment and recovery for individuals who are monolingual or, you know, speak only Spanish or Portuguese or sign language and help them to find treatment and recovery in their own language. Nice. Plus, we do a whole lot of work with um, police reform and prison reform. And uh, I am for funding the police, <laughs> yeah. but I, you know, my God grandchildren are Mexican, American, African. Okay. And so they're 75 times more likely to be pulled over just because of the color of their skin. Right. And, you know, I know that is a fact. My best friend is black. You know, my ex-girlfriend uh, is from Africa. And I remember looking for a dress for her for a fancy ball we were supposed to go to and you know the um and this was 20 almost 30 years ago and you know the retention people were following her around and i wait a minute what are you following my girlfriend around for oh we're not i guess you are i've been watching you for 10 minutes um wow and i went straight to the uh director or the um, manager of his department. And I spoke and said, you know, there is a problem. And I'd like him to apologize to my, at the time, fiance. And he did. And, but I do understand that. But with Paso por Paso, we're more interested in making sure that those whose voices are not necessarily heard, especially those who are incarcerated, who addiction is a really weird animal. What happens is an individual changes once they start putting drugs into their system. And the person that is drug addict or inebriated and drunk is not the same person they are when they are sober. Exactly. However, they are the same human being, so anything that happens while they are are under the influence has to be, you know, they're responsible for it. Right. But they are not responsible for everything that they say and do under the influence, but the person needs to be responsible once they become sober. Anyway, there's a whole lot of stigma about it. There's a whole lot of negative press and slowly we are starting to get more understanding of the disease of addiction but at paso por paso we are dedicated to making sure that everyone gets a chance at treatment and recovery and that we are you know all brothers and sisters yep and um even those that are not 
the sweetest, nicest people. I mean, I have worked in the prison, in the level four prison here in California, because I wanted to know a little bit about someone who was actually there. And for that reason, you know, I, I believe that there are a lot of people who do stupid things. Um, I teach people who are uh, in, who have received a DUI here in California. And many of them just were upset for a night and got drunk and then decided to drive, but they're not real addicts or alcoholics. And then we have those who are real addicts and alcoholics and they need to find treatment and recovery. Right. And just because they don't speak English is not a reason why we should not help them get what they need. Yeah. Good for you. That, that's amazing. It's an amazing work that you're doing there. Um, I wanted to just, I have a few more questions for you. I wanted to jump back just briefly because when we were talking about the cops, it reminded me that, you know, you and I had mentioned that you were on Adam 12 and that Kent McCord, who, you know, starred with Martin Milner on that show, he was in the, on the National Board of Directors for the Screen Actors Guild. Was Did he work on revising the, um, the law with you, the Coogan Law? Well, I don't remember him coming to any of our meetings. Actually, at the time that I remember, it was Patty Duke who was the president at the time. Okay. And Patty did come. But one interesting thing, Martin Milner's son was supposed to be the actor, but Martin Milner's son couldn't act. Oh. And so... I got the job to do the acting and Martin Milner's son got the job to do the motorcycle riding. So he, Martin Milner's son was the, uh, was the stunt boy. Okay. And this was on that episode. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I know my, my listeners are going to want to hear a little bit about Sigmund and the sea monsters. Uh, how did, first of all, how did that come about? Well, of course, I had done Tom Sawyer, the film, um, the summer before, and Sid and Marty Croft knew that it was going to be a big hit. And I was, you know, one of the, it was Leif Garrett, Johnny Whitaker, and Donny Osmond. Wow. And so um, they, I had uh, been to Puerto Rico to do uh, some, some show anyway. And I had learned to scuba dive and I heard about Sigmund and the sea monsters. And I met with Marty and with Sid and I actually am a producer, a non printed producer, but I helped to produce it in the fact that um, they gave me the choice of helping to cast my brother, Scott Colden, Scott Colden, with whom I'd worked on a Disney movie the year before called Mystery and Dracula's Castle. Okay, yeah. And we had, you know, worked together, and I said, yeah, he liked him, he liked me, we had a good time, let's let's make lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) And then I also was excited because I thought, well, you know, am I going to get to scuba dive? Because we're, you know going under to meet the family or whatever. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have that in the script and never did in the three (laughs) years that we did it. Never put any, just came out of the water. Right. Supposedly after surfing, but, uh, didn't ever get into the water. Wasn't taught how to surf or anything. And I was kind of upset about that, but, but yeah, Sigmund and the Sigmund was lots of fun. Billy Barty. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
was the uh, the puppeteer in the the um, the costume, right, or the puppet costume for Sigmund. And you can tell that Sigmund has a little hitch in his giddy up when he's running, and that's because uh, Billy Barty did. Yeah. <laughs> Second year, we got Rip Taylor on the set. Yeah. And hello. Yeah. <laughs> It's a party. <laughs> Must have spent hours cleaning up all the confetti. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Rip was a great man. It was lots of fun. That's awesome. And after family or after Sigmund, we actually met back up when I uh, um there's a uh, the Silver Spoon is no longer there in West Hollywood, but I was living in West Hollywood and went with a friend to lunch or breakfast at the Silver Spoon. And Rip Taylor was there. Oh, wow. And so I went over to say hello to Rip Taylor. And I don't know who else was with him, but, you know, it had to be somebody famous. And, you know, got a chance to talk. And we exchanged phone numbers and, you know, had a, a, a wonderful redo of our friendship up until his passing last year. Right. We still were good friends. Nice. Are you still in contact with Scott Colden? Yes, um, not as much as either of us would like, but he's the father of six kids. Wow. And doesn't live too far, but far enough that we don't get together. And every once in a while, especially if there's an autograph show or something, we will, you know, get together. And every Tuesday they have Taco Tuesdays and have invited me over a few times. That's cool. And so uh, after Sigmund, you did um, that one-off that I mentioned in the intro, The World of Sid and Marty Croft Live at the Hollywood Bowl. Do you remember right. that? Well, actually, we did that while we were doing Oh, you did? Okay. Sigmund. Yeah. Yeah. And how, mu how, um, how much of a production was that, and how involved were you? Well, that was a great big production, but I really was just the MC. Yeah. But, you know, I had met then all of the uh, Brady kids. Right. And then that's how the Brady Bunch hour began. Okay. But we um, we had lots of fun doing it. I, I wish, in retrospect, that they would have given me at least some kind of a choreographer because I was just kind of clapping my hands and yeah. <laughs> not doing anything too difficult. But Try, um, Trying to wrangle that microphone cable around the stand. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> But that all Billy Barty actually was in that one too. Yep, yep. And uh, did you get to, a chance to hang out with Jack Wilde at all? Or had you known him? Yeah, and and Jack was a um, Jack. We'd had one episode of Sigmund where Puff and Stuff and Jack show up. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. It probably was during the same time because Marty's pretty cheap in not <laughs> wanting to fly jack over twice right <laughs> <laughs> and so did you get a chance to get on you know at least to look at any of the other croft sets of the other shows they were doing well while we were doing um sigmund they were filming land of the lost and our cave was the same cave that they used for land of the Lost. oh okay that's awesome but uh, wesley Ewer and myself have been friends for years and continue um, we're actually going to be on the Susan Anton Where Are They Now show. Oh, wow. Uh, next week. I don't know when it's going to air, but which should be lots of fun. Oh, excellent. Yeah, Wesley's one that I, I, is on my list. I would love to get him on the show. Okay. 
And um, what I can do, do you have his contact information? Uh, let me jump over quick in IMDb Pro. Yeah, I have his email addresses on IMDb Pro. Okay, great. So, uh, yeah, and, and he lives half of the year in Mexico and half the year in um, down in, uh, or, well, from me, it's south, <laughs> um, <laughs> in um, uh, Palm Springs, and then in Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you did recently, what was it, this past April, you did the Missouri Cherry Blossom Festival? Yes. Yeah. And Mike Lookinland from the Brady Bunch was there. Had you connected with the Bradys in, in you know, over I, the years? I mean, not with Mike, but I had connected with Susan. Okay. No, wait, see, not Susan. The youngest girl. Um, so, was it Susan Olson? No. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I did say Susan. Yeah. I was right. Susan Olson and I, you know, one of we have some mutual friends and um so we've talked and actually she lives in the same town in north the north county Los Angeles that I live in and I've seen her at the grocery store and I've seen her son he is a musician and and likes to to sing on the street, you know, giving free concerts. Nice. And does a good job. So we've seen each other here and there. That's great. That's great. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun. And um, have you done the Cherry Blossom Festival before? or Because it's annual. No, this was the first time. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, we're going to have to check that out at some point, my wife and I. Um, and one other final thing uh, before we close out here. I just wanted to talk about you. You still teach acting, correct? I do. And uh, I love it. And I've gone... To about five different places in the states, and and have done a, a few here in Los Angeles. Nice. And what's one of the first pieces of advice you might give to an aspiring actor or actress? Well, for free, I'm giving this to everybody. Just on your show, <laughs> <laughs> you have two jobs as a child actor. Number one job is to have fun. Number two job is to make your mom and dad look good. <laughs> and so if you are having too much fun and not learning your lines and not taking the time that it takes to learn your lines, right? then you're not doing your job. Exactly. Uh, and sometimes you have to take less fun and learn to accept that, you know, it's not all fun and games and you got to, got to do that. Right. But also, my fans and friends, I am getting prepared to do a, we're not exactly sure what it's going to be called, but I've got lots of little fires in the works, but one of them is to do a, um, a cabaret show. Oh, very nice. And um, we're going to do a part of the cabaret show online to my a group of friends and fans, and they can go to johnnywhitaker.com or... Uh, my Johnny Whitaker fan page on uh, Facebook or Twitter and find out about it. But basically about 50 fans and friends will be able to get online and I will be singing and talking and making jokes and doing a little tete-a-tete with my, with the, um, with the fans and friends that come to, to see the show. And there will be a cost and we're not exactly sure what that's going to be, but all proceeds will, of course, go to Paso por Paso. And when I get it all set up and ready to go, I will um, 
uh, let you know and you can kind of get the word out. Absolutely. We'd love to help you out on that. Have you ever considered writing a memoir or even a book on acting and how to navigate Hollywood? Well, that is also in the works. Excellent. Because, uh, but it'll have to be a two-parter before crack, BC, and <laughs> after crack. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. John, it has truly been an honor speaking to you. You know, you've had such an impact on our pop culture, as well as people suffering from addiction. And, you know, you really should truly be commended for all that. Um, so once again, can you tell our listeners where to find you on your website and social media? Sure. Um, you go to johnnywhitaker.com. And that's J-O-H-N-N-Y-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com. And there you can find my links to my Twitter page. You can become a Twitter <laughs> if you are not yet. So, uh, and I've got quite a few Twitter but I've got more Facebook friends. I'm also on MeWe and other places, but um, they're all there at, uh, at johnnywhitaker.com on contact us. Excellent. Excellent. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, hopefully we can have you back again to promote, you know, your next thing, your, whether it's your book or your performance or whatever you got going on. You bet. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, John. Hey, bye-bye, friends. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with the iconic and legendary Johnny Whitaker. Please be sure to check out all the movies and shows he's been in. Check out him online and on social media, as well as supporting his Paso Por Paso endeavor, which helps tons of people with addiction issues. Remember, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now Podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website, havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from, and if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. Then is now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.